ready to go. And uh, we're looking at our, our series called Eternal Rewards. Eternal Rewards is the name of the series, and this is uh, session number two on key principles related to eternal rewards. Key principles related to eternal rewards. And uh, we'll find in the series as we go through it that will undoubtedly overlap. And there's no problem overlapping because what happens is you then start to the things start to, you're reminded of them, reminded of them, reminded of them, and then gradually it just uh, it gets into your spirit. And uh, so here we are, ready to go. So we, first of all, so I'm going to give you a number of principles. We'll see how far we get today. Here's number one, and this one we've touched before, but we're going to go back to it again. Uh, the first one is we must all give account of our works to God. All of us must give account of our works. And uh, we read in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, and here's the first point under that. Every believer must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And here it is in verse uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so everyone may be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now this is not the great uh, white throne judgment that takes place at the very end of the millennium. This is a judgment for believers and it's not a judgment for punishment. Uh, it's a judgment for rewarding us for faithful service. So as we have served the Lord and, uh, and walk with Him, He is looking for the opportunity to acknowledge our love for Him and acknowledge our walk with Him. And this is a great incentive for us. It means whatever we do, whatever we put our hand to, God is watching all of it and He has in mind, has in view that He can acknowledge it in a much greater way in the coming kingdom. So notice that scripture says we must all appear. So that's every person and everyone gives account. There's no one doesn't give account. And so sometimes we get discouraged. We see people do things and we see people uh, treat us badly. And it's even more miserable when it's Christians treat us badly. But we have to understand that God is watching every action. He watches their actions against you. He watches your response. And every uh, response, every action that we take, uh, God takes notice of. And so uh, Jesus will evaluate our life based upon what we have done. Notice he said he will recompense us for the deeds in the body, whatever he has done, whether good or bad. And the word therefore done is a particular word, presso, meaning to practice or perform repeatedly or habitually. It means to practice, consist, continually practice or re perform repeatedly or make it a habit of it. So... You notice then what he's looking for are the things which have become a habit, not just the random, hey, I blew it this time. Those kind of things really are not important. It's the trend of where our life is going is what counts, whether the trend is moving in a certain direction. The fact there's up and downs are not a problem to Jesus. It's where the trend of our life is, what we have practiced or what we have done habitually. So if you judge people constantly, then that's something that turns up in your life as someone you, you've actually been a person who's judgmental. That will be taken into account. So the second thing we saw uh, as we looked in last time, scripture last week in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 to 15 is that our, our, at the judgment seat, all our works are tested. So there's a, there's a fiery test. 1 Corinthians 3 11 to 15 no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident or become manifest, for the day will reveal it or expose it or uncover it. It shall be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality, what sort of work 
each man does. If any man's work is built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, even though he will be saved, yet so is by fire. And we touched on the scripture last week. The first thing we see in this again is that Jesus Christ forms the foundation of what our life is about, what we do. So he said, no, it's like building a house. You lay a foundation, then you build on the foundation. So the foundation that's laid, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a faith of him. And uh, the goal of our covenant with him is that we would walk with him in ever-increasing unity in life and outwork his plan that his, our lives would reflect what he's like and we'd do what he calls us to do. So therefore, uh, that, mean, that, ref that determines then how our works are evaluated. So they're evaluated, do we build our kingdom or did we build his? <laughs> do we do our own thing and use the things of God to help us get ahead? Or do we actually genuinely and authentically, because we love him, desire to do something? And so he says that there are different types of materials that you can use, temporal and eternal. And it says the Lord will try every man's work what sort it is. And the word try means literally to put it to the test to see its quality, like a, a quality, you know, like a, you know, on a, on a manufacturing line, they'll take a sample out and they'll test it. Now, they're not testing it to destroy it. They're testing it to see whether it meets the manufacturer's requirements so it can go on and, and then be sold. So in this situation, he says he will try our works or look at the quality of what we have done. So we can fool people, but we can't fool what God sees God sees in, in Hebrews 4.13. I didn't share this last week. There's no creature or no person hidden from his sight, but everything is naked and open to the eyes of him before whom we give account. So everything, God sees everything. He doesn't just see what you do. He sees why you're doing it and what you're thinking as you do it. All of it is open before him, which is quite extraordinary, isn't it? And then that causes you to start to rethink then Actually, my life is under observation all the time. And it, it, it is a motivation then to actually challenge our thoughts, challenge why we're doing things, and so on. It says, the fire will test the quality of every man's sort. And then here's another scripture in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Don't judge anything before the time until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveals the counsels or motivations of people's heart. That's when people will receive praise from God. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. So it says, when we look at what people do and how they behave, we really don't know what's going on. You don't know why they do what they do. You don't know what's going on in their heart. Sometimes actions which hurt us are not intentional at all. They may come from a person who's just got something else going on in their life. But the Bible says that when the Lord comes, he will bring out to light everything that's hidden, even the motivations of the heart. So people who have got away with a lot of stuff, you can't get away before him. He sees it all. He sees why we did it sees if there was a hidden agenda, hidden motive, or so on. So notice then the quality of what we're doing is based on our heart, which is why it is important to have heart healing and heart development. Everything flows from the heart. Jesus' interest and focus was on the heart. The Bible says out of the heart flow the boundaries or borders of our life. So it, what God will be looking for is, is there a love for Jesus burning in our life? Are we on fire for the Lord and love him? And has the Holy Spirit inspired us? Or have we been willing to surrender our works to the Lord? So we're doing the things he calls us to do. So the works could be burned up. And the ones who are burned up are self-centered. There's pride, there's ambition, there's self-promotion. And you see heaps of that around with so many people. 
and the Lord, they may look good now, but will they look so good when he comes, when he puts the, the light on it, and you see that most of what was done, it looked great before men, but from God's eyes, he sees actually was done out of, promote, out of pride and self-promotion. It's all about them. So our works can be burned up if, we, uh, if they're motivated by pride and self-ambition and promotion. But our works can pass the test and then we receive reward. And our, reward, our works pass the test if, we look, if he looks into our heart and sees actually there's a motivation of love, that genuine love, not trying to get something back is what motivates us. And, uh, and, and whether we've been responsive and obedient to what the Holy Spirit said to do. So you can be busy doing a whole heap of things, but they may not be what God called you to do. They're all just your own stuff. You can tell the difference between the two. That's why he calls us really, number one, to have a love for the Lord and love for people, and number two, be surrendered to what he wants us to do. So that means it's not whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, it's whether is God directing me that way. In another place it says, those who are led by the Holy Spirit in their choices, decisions, and actions, they're the sons of God. So ultimately, if our works pass, uh, they determine then our eternal rewards. Notice that if any man's work abide, he receive reward. Any man's work burned up, he suffer loss, even though he's saved. So notice reward or loss. And that's what this whole thing of eternal rewards is about. It's about our activities now and how they turn, how we show up when, when God looks at them. And I found that as I've gone through the study, it just has caused me so much more to sharpen again my own thinking about my life and so on. So here's the second main point then. Rewards are given according to our works. Rewards are given according to our works. Uh, I touched on this last week, and I want to put a bit more in on it this time, because I think it's really important that we don't get caught out struggling to perform and striving to do this and do that, but we actually see what God is looking at. Perhaps in another teaching session, I'll share how God evaluates what we do. That's very powerful. There's a lot of things I just started to see related to that. I knew three, but now I found a lot more. Okay, so first of all, so rewards are given according to our works. Some Christians don't understand that. Others react to it. But nevertheless, Jesus used that word. And Firstly, Jesus himself used the word reward. He said uh, in Matthew 16, 27, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his fathers with his angels. He will reward each one according to his works. So Jesus talks about reward. We saw the scripture last week too, Revelations 22, 12. Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according to his works. Uh, Luke 6, 35. Love your enemies. Do good. Not trying to get something back. Your reward will be great. So... Reward is something you're, you, you receive because you've done something right or done something good or done something. Rewards really, though, are an evidence that God is really kind because what he rewards us with is bigger than what we did, far bigger. It's like there's no comparison. So second thing, we're rewarded for the acts we do in this season in our life, acts that are right. We're rewarded for acts of righteousness. So in uh, Revelations 19.8, it says... Uh, uh, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. To her was granted she were to be arrayed in fine linen for the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. So notice then you start to see that in the coming kingdom what you have done in this life will be visible to people. I'll touch on that a bit more soon. And uh, in other words, 
even if you did it, no one saw it. In the coming age and for all eternity, I'll get on to this, this is really important, everyone will see it. And uh, so uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, everyone will receive reward according to his own labor. So what, what are the works that are involved? Well, the works mean our actions, things we did. They, they involve things we said. Our works involve our attitudes. And then how we spent time and money, what we did with our wife, our family, uh, those near to us, how we handle our relationships, all of those things are included. Um, in the book of James, he says that if we have no works, then our faith is considered to be dead. So um, James 2.17, faith by itself, if there's no works, is dead. So the Bible's very strong. We are saved by faith in the work of Jesus Christ, but we qualify rewards by demonstrating our faith is genuine, we actually live out a life. In other words, he's saying if your faith is genuine, it should show a changed life. It should show in what you do, the way you treat people, what you do with your life, your priorities all should show. In Titus 3.8, he said, uh, this is a faithful saying. I want to affirm that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works, which are good and profitable to men. So notice he said, he's exhorting us now you've saved, don't just sit back and just do whatever you want. He said, be careful to maintain good works. And uh, in, in also in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 14, let our people so learn to maintain good works, to meet needs, so they may not be unfruitful. So he's saying, you just need to make it a priority to be proactive for the kingdom. And you'll see lots of Christians aren't, but this is contrary to what God says. Uh, in Titus, um, I think, chapter 2, he says God has redeemed to himself a people who will be zealous for good works. How about that? So God's plan means that not just we get saved, but now we join with him and become passionate in what he's passionate about, which is people and changing society, making things different and better. So, um, so our faith reveals then our work. So if you look at our life, you'll see clearly something mobilized us and motivated us. And it's these teachings on the kingdom. So our works include even small things. Sometimes we think works are the big things, going and planting a church, go do some big preaching, something like that. But actually the works are usually small things. In Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust or unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love that you did in his name in that you minister to the saints and do minister. Notice what he's saying there. God is not unrighteous. It would be wrong for him to not acknowledge or reward what we do. Now, when you look and you see so many slack Christians or believers around, it can be very discouraging. But when you have this truth in you, you know, actually, God is not unrighteous. He sees what we do. He will reward those who do. And he will, there'll be loss for those who don't. So you start to look around the church, you see, oh my goodness, people are asleep, people have got wrong motives, they're, they're, not, they're not understanding. There's a lot for them at stake. Eternity for them is at stake. So most of our faithfulness is manifested in very little decisions. Most of our decisions are very little. Most of our actions are very little. And uh, it's so, so our works include all little things, kind words, a small attitude change, a little act of service, you helped someone, you did this, you did that. You turned up when you didn't feel like turning up. It's given, given something to help someone. It's all the little things. No, it's not the big things. It's lots of little things. What did you do and why did you do it? You see that in Luke um, 21, 
where it says uh, Jesus looked up and uh, he saw the rich putting big gifts into the treasury and he saw a certain poor widow putting in just two mites and he looked. In other words, he saw it all, saw what she did. And he said, well, eh, this poor widow gave more than everyone. So notice, and you'll see that when we touch on how God evaluates. He evaluates partly, not just on what we do, but what did that represent in your life? So he said here, you got all these big shots and they're all putting in a lot of money. But he said, actually, there's this little woman. For her, what she gave was her very life itself. He said, I noticed that. She gave more than everyone. So notice then God's measuring is different to our measuring. We, would, we tend to measure, well, there's $1,000, there's $10. And we think, oh, man, that's great. Oh, man, that sucks. And you understand, it's just the way we think. But God looks at it in relationship. What did that mean to you? And so for the thousand, perhaps he made a million. This is nothing. For the, for the woman who gave $10, perhaps that's all she had left over. Can't buy something now. You understand, it's, it's more in this than just the, the action you do. It's what it means in your life. That's why we, you know, if we're going to, if it's not a sacrifice for us, it doesn't mean much to God either. <laughs> so, it, so, so God is attentive to every little thing. He, he watches um, like every little deed is seen by God. And, and no matter how unnoticed people have. It's notice he says in Hebrews 6, we saw that, uh, or here's another one, Matthew 10, 42. Whoever gives just a, a cup of cold water to this little one of my name shall by no means lose their reward. See, a little cup of cold water, that's so little. But God says, I watch all of that, and I see it's done out of love for people and a love for me, and he said, I'll reward that. So, and, and when you hear this, this sort of teaching, you realize how, how just God is. I think a, a thing that people struggle with is injustice. It doesn't seem fair. I've done all this and I haven't done any of that. But, but actually, you, you're looking too close. You're not looking at the long picture. When you get the long picture, and you come to the, the judgment seat of Christ, say, oh, wow, did I get all of that just for that little thing? Man, you're so generous, you're so kind. And, and so God will see all of those things. So our works also include the secret intentions of our heart. So God sees why you do what you do. And we saw that in 1 Corinthians 5, 4 verse 5. Don't judge anything before the time. The Lord will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and the motivations of the heart. And, of course, we saw in last week in Matthew 7, verse 22, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy and cast out demons and many wonders in your name? And he said, I never knew you. There's been no intimacy and you practice lawlessness. You actually do your own thing, your own way to promote yourself. And then finally, our words will be evaluated because our words reveal our heart. So in Luke 6, 45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things so out of the abundance of the heart you speak. So your words can bless people. Your words can hurt people. Your words can bring life. Your words can bring death. And so all of our words are noticed. Uh, he says um, in Matthew twelve thirty six, By your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be judged. For every idle word men speak, they'll give account of it in the day of judgment. Every idle word, every unprofitable word. Now you think of how people talk and chitter chatter and gossip and complain and run people down. God is hearing every conversation. The words are all registering and carry weight to bless or they bring about loss. Here's another principle then. Here's another related to eternal rewards. All our works are written in God's books. Now I don't know whether they're literal books or, or books of some kind, but 
there's very clear from the scriptures that God keeps a written record of everything. <laughs> you know, nothing like when you turn up and see the a written record. There, there it is. Now I don't know whether we'll go and we'll see a book or whether it, I think it'll all happen in a moment of time. And in a moment of time, you'll see all of your life. You'll see everything you did and why you did it and the effect it had, just like that. So when it's talking about a book, I don't think it's like a book and we open up and go from page to page. I think there's more to it than that. But um, so the first thing then is the works that the works of people are important and they have a lasting impact. For example, uh, in Psalm 139:16, 139 verse 16 says, "Your eyes saw my substance being unformed, and in your book was written all the days you prepared for me when there wasn't even one of them." So God obviously has a book. And in the book, he writes out every day of your life. So you're not going to die before your time. Uh, you're going to die in time. And God has planned every day for your life. He keeps a record of every day. And uh, in Daniel 7.10, he talks about the coming of the Lord. And he says, the court was seated and the books were open. So now it's not just a book, there's books. So clearly, books or records are kept of our actions and words and our life and our motivation. Revelation 20, 12, he said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. There it is again, books. More than one book. And it says, in another book open called the Book of Life, the dead were judged according to their works by the things written in the books. So in other words, the, God keeps a record, which is really good. And... Uh, so we see then God keeps, and even our conversations are recorded. That's the bit that's just, whoa. In Malachi 3.16, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. So how about that? There's lots of books, Book of Life. Now there's a book called the Book of Remembrance. And, and, and it says, every idle work a man speaker give account of. Wow. So in other words, God, God keeps a track on our conversations. And uh, so now we'll get to the next point. Next main point is our works follow us for eternity. This is something that has been a little new to me as I've gone into it and studied it. So our works follow us for all eternity. Uh, number one, we'll be known by our works. We will be known by our works. And look at the scripture here. Revelation 14 and verse 13. He said, I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. Now here it is. And their works follow them. Their works follow them. Revelation 14, 13. So for all eternity, we'll be known by how we lived in these 80 years. Our works will follow us. That word follow means to accompany you on the journey. So your works follow you. So for all eternity, we'll be known for the passion we had for the Lord, for the purity of our motives, or whether we did our own thing and built our own empire. It will be known forever. It's not like you get to heaven, everyone's equal, everyone's the same, everyone, no one knows what went on, it's all covered or concealed. Nope. Now he's notice here he's talking about people who have loved the Lord. So it's the positive aspect is remembered that those actions and activities that earn uh, acknowledgement by Jesus, those are the ones that we will be seen to have done. 
the failures, the mistake. None of that will be visible or seen. It's actually the way Jesus has seen and evaluated our life and chosen to honour us. Imagine that. Imagine passing into eternity, facing judgment, and the Lord brings back to memory all the little things you did all through your life. And those things accompany you. Now, that's not that your works can come from heaven to earth, from earth to heaven. Now, what will happen is the honour of them is going to be carried in your life and recognisable to people. It's the only way we can interpret that, I think. So, the, so he talks about us having wedding garments. And here it is, Revelations 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now here it is. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. And notice it says that in the glory, in the coming kingdom, we will be clothed with white garments. But the nature of the garments reflect the acts that we have done, which have served God. So any works that were not consumed by fire at the judgment time, that survived the fire because they were operating out of love and out of uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, then they form the foundation of our clothing for eternity. Wow, such a short time. You want to be busy, don't you? <laughs> so our clothing will reveal to everyone how we lived our life on earth. When people look at your clothing in, in eternity, they will know you maintain the first love for Jesus. It'll be obvious to everyone you kept your first love. It'll be obvious to everyone you did many things that were motivated by love to bring honor to him. It'll be obvious to everyone that you were a person who was walking with God. And that's a great encouragement, a great encouragement to see that it's not just now and it'll all pass away, we'll forget all about it. No, God has a way of dressing us and clothing us in glory which will reflect the measure of what we were like and what we did on the earth. And Jesus' warning then, in, in Revelation 16 and 15, he says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief, I'm coming secretly. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Now, I, I can't develop these in a lot, but... Notice Jesus warned us and frequently talks about watching and praying, watching and praying, watching and praying, watching and praying, you don't fall, fall to temptation, watching and praying, you're ready for his coming, watch and pray, overcome temptation, all these things. Now it says watch and pray and keep your garments, lest you walk naked and they see your shame. They, that must be other believers. So notice he's saying uh, we must be careful to keep our lives passionate and on fire for the Lord and not become... Uh, complacent and apathetic and passive and shut down or lukewarm otherwise it will be revealed to all so if you were a believer who came to Christ started out good and then slowly slacked off and ended up pretty slack it will be obvious that you have no uh, clothing that would bring honor to you he says the same thing in um, 1 John 2:28. it says now little children abide in him or maintain connect intimate connection with Jesus so when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming and shrink away from him at the shame of his coming. How about that? It's another version of it. So what it's saying is when the Lord comes, you want to be bold and confident because of how you lived your life, not, oh my God, I've been caught out and embarrassed that now you're in a bad state. He says he will come at a time when no one knows. So you have no idea when the coming of the Lord is. When he comes, 
you want to be passionate on fire and full of the Holy Ghost and doing good things for the Lord. That doesn't mean we won't have our ups and downs. Remember, it's the, it's the practice. It's the trend of where our life is going. So the next main point then is these rewards are eternal, they're irreversible, and they never diminish. They're eternal, they're irreversible, and they will never diminish. So firstly, the rewards are eternal. They're called eternal rewards. It's called eternal judgment in Matthew's, um, in Hebrews uh, 6 verse 2. It's called an eternal judgment. That means once it's made, it's made. It's for eternity. So there's no reversing the decision. So once you arrive at that point, there's no turning back. There's no give me a bit longer. There's no second chance. Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, whatever reward we get is ours for eternity. And our rewards determine the way we spend eternity. Uh, it, it, there's quite a lot on all of these things, and we'll just give you enough today, and the next time or another time I'll go into more detail on what the rewards would look like, what, what it is that would cause you to say, man, I want to live passionately for Jesus. Second thing is the rewards are irreversible. In other words, you can't change what the judgment is. You can't <laughs> wait a minute, let's have another go at this. Um, you can't reverse it. If our works are burned and we suffer loss, there's no way to reverse it. You can't reverse it. You get to the point, you call to account, and it's going to be eternal. You can't change it, you can't reverse it. And if we're disqualified from uh, ruling with Christ and being near to Him in eternity, there's no way you can reverse it. It's that, it's fixed for eternity. And uh, you can't change that. So when we look at more detail on the prizes, you realize the prizes are out of proportion to anything we do because of the generosity of God. If God is so loving, he gave his only son, how much more will he reward us who serve God, who serve him faithfully? Yeah? Here's the third thing, then the rewards will never diminish. They never diminish. They can never be taken away once you've got them. Yeah, there's uh, three or four scriptures on that. Uh, in Matthew 6.20, Lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where moth nor rust destroy, it does not corrupt, and where thieves can't break in and steal. In other words, whatever treasure you have in heaven can't be stolen, can't be taken away. Uh, the Bible talks about the uh, crowns, people being rewarded with crowns, and the crowns are imperishable, they don't fade away. So 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul writes about running the race and run to obtain. He says, in the natural world, people do everything in order to get a crown, to get an award, and he says, we got a, a, that's a perishable one. Now, ours is an imperishable one. In other words, it can never fade, never run away. So heavenly rewards are eternal and they're imper they, they, never go, they never perish, they never diminish. Okay, let's have a look at the next key principle then. Um, we find that Jesus himself was motivated by rewards and he also motivated other believers. There is a lot on that, so I'll just pick up a couple because we touched on that last week. But Jesus was empowered to live his life because of what he saw ahead. He was motivated by an eternal reward. A temporary reward would be, what do people think of me now? How well am I living now? What income have I got now? What house do I live in now? An eternal reward is something completely different. It's not temporary, it's eternal. And he was motivated by that. We find in um, Hebrews 12 verse 2, Jesus endured the shame of the cross, and it says, for the joy set before him. So set before means to lie in front of you as a reward. <laughs> How about that? To be constantly in your mind. So Jesus 
in facing the cross with all its shame and the pain and the difficulty and the rejection of people, all those things, it says he endured it because of the joy that was positioned or set before him, the opportunity to receive reward in the coming kingdom. It was the joy of, of what he saw ahead. And that's how we need to live our life. If you've got no vision of what lies ahead, then you've got no motivation for being sacrificial. People look and they say, oh man, you do this and you're giving up this and you're giving that. No, no, no. We sort of see something else here. We're paying a price for that. We're making an investment of our lives. So if you don't see what is set before you, then you've got really little motivation to keep going. So understanding this issue of eternal rewards, then you look, well, actually, I'm willing to let Jesus transform my heart. I'm willing to bring out the broken places, the hurt places. I'm willing to humble myself and let him bring healing. I'm willing to work on my heart attitudes. Why? Because of something that lies ahead for me. So Jesus apparently gave, I read somewhere that he gave over 50 references to eternal rewards. So it's a big, big thing. So there are many of the things that he taught about that, but he did teach his disciples over and over and over again about eternal rewards. Call them to become great, call them to receive rewards, call them to become a ruler over much, to have authority over nations, to sit on thrones, gain crowns. He constantly was moving them with this prospect, like in his teaching on the, uh, and the, the, the five wise and the five foolish virgins. It's all about entering a marriage feast about eternal intimacy and a close relationship and a joy with Jesus. He taught a parable about the man with the talents and how the joy, that what was, you've been faithful over little, but much is given to you. Also Matthew 25, he said, I'll make you ruler over many things. So constantly he's moving his people saying that. And uh, of course, the most important thing of all is that we walk in love, we love them passionately and love people. So you think about it, everything you can see, you leave behind. So what's left that's really valuable? Well, it's, it's the things which you can't see, the things which are invisible, things of the, of the kingdom. The next thing then is that the rewards are absolutely, eternal rewards are glorious. It's kind of like, you, it's hard to describe them. So there are many pictures of it through the Bible. And I can't give you all those pictures. I'll give you a couple right now. I'll give you a few things on it. The first thing is that the rewards that God has in mind are beyond your imagination. They're beyond our imagination. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, uh, it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. How about that? In other words, he said, he said, you've never seen it. No matter what you've seen that's been magnificent, it's still small. You've never heard it spoken, and it hasn't, you haven't been able to even imagine the possibilities that God has ahead. And he says, but the Spirit reveals them to us. Uh, in, in, uh, that's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 to 10. So the Holy Spirit, as you hunger for more, will gradually, little by little, reveal more of the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, notice here, those who love Him. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. <laughs> and uh, here's another scripture. Paul is praying in, uh, in Ephesians 1 and verse 17 and 18. He says, He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you might know what is the hope of His calling. And here it is. 
what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So there's a glorious inheritance. The word riches, it's abundant, magnificent. It's full of glory and it's within us. It's the formation of Jesus' life and what will become. It's, it's spectacular. And so the reward's God's plan. Are you going to plan? You have a look when you have a look at, say, at Buckingham Palace. And you have a look then at all the buildings and the detail and how ornate and there's gold and jewels and all those things. And you look at the way the royalty carry themselves, the clothing and everything that's there. Well, whatever God rewards us with, that's just only a little pale thing compared to what he has. And so in 1 Peter 2.9 it says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Royal means you're descended from a king. You're part of a royal family. You're part of a royal family. And so there are different um, examples in the Bible. Um, of the, in other words, you've got to look for different things, pick stories in the Bible to get kind of pictures because God can't, you can't describe it with words. It's so magnificent. So he's got little stories in the Bible that you can have a look. So for example, in, um, in Exodus 28.2, it says God appointed uh, special garments for Aaron the high priest. And they call this garments of beauty and glory. So Aaron, who was the high priest who had access to the presence of God, he was, they made special garments for him. Gold and jewels, all kinds of things. So whenever you saw him... His garments were beautiful and they, they covered in glory. There was a, just, they shone, there was magnificence about them. And uh, so that the high priest wearing these beautiful garments is a picture for us in eternity. Um, a, a second picture of it that you can find is um, in the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says this, it says in Matthew 17 verse 2, it says, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light or brighter white than anyone could make. So when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, as he was praying, the glory that was within him began to shine forth and all his clothes changed, his countenance changed, he began to shine. It's, the Bible says his countenance was like the sun in all its magnificence. In other words, there's a glory that has been put in us. Christ has been put in you and although it can't be seen yet, there is a day when what God has been doing will shine out of our lives. It says in uh, Matthew 13, 43, it says, The righteous, that's us, will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. So God has reserved rewards for us. And they're shown in different ways. Another place that's shown up in is Solomon's temple. And you remember in the, in the, in, in the kingdom age when Solomon built his temple, it was magnificent. It was the most amazing, beautiful thing. It said there was so much silver that they didn't bother to count it. They had gold everywhere. So you read in 1 Kings 10 verse 4 to 13. Remember, this is just a picture. And it says here, When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house he built, the food on his table the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, their clothing, the cupbearers, the way he went up to the house of the Lord, she fainted. There was no more spirit in her. And she said, wow, it's true report I heard in my own land about your words and wisdom, but I didn't believe it and came and saw it with my own eyes and half it wasn't even told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of what I've heard. Happy are your men and happy your servants who stand before you and hear your wisdom. 
Now, Jesus is obviously much greater than Solomon, yet this is what this is the queen of Ethiopia said. She, oh, I've seen kings and I've seen glory, amazing things. We said, I have never seen anything like this. This is absolutely stunning. So, <clears throat> again, so there's many pictures in the Bible of it. Okay, we'll get to the last couple of key points now. And uh, there are different degrees of eternal rewards. There are different degrees of eternal rewards. And there are different types of eternal rewards. So different degrees means more or less. So I'm going to go through and just share you some of the more or lesses. So you realize that there's no equal field. The only equal field we have is here on earth when everyone can aspire to be great. And that's the amazing thing. All of us have a call to greatness. All of us can be great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. It's wired into you to be great. It's wired into you to want honor. It's wired into you to desire glory. It's just literally wired in because you're made in the image of your father. However, it's how you get it. So in the coming kingdom, the Bible in many different ways indicates that not everyone will be the same. So I'll give you some, just some things that'll give you. There will be some who are first and some who are last. <laughs> some who are first, first means most important, last, least important. Matthew 19, verse 30, many who are first will be last and the last will be first. There are degrees of eternal rewards. Some will be first in authority and glory and intimacy. Others will be last. Some will be in the throne with him. Others will be watching and praising around the throne. There's a difference. Uh, there will be the leatest and the least, least and the greatest. In other words, uh, if you read here, it says, uh, um, I'll read a couple of verses. Revelation 19.5, And a voice came from the throne saying, Praise God, all you his servants, those who fear him, both small and great. So there's some great servants of God. There's some small servants of God. There's greatness and smallness. So some will be small, some will be great. And uh, in, um, in Jesus taught in Matthew 5.19, In the kingdom of heaven, he says, There are least and there are great. Whoever breaks the least of these commandments and teaches men shall be called least in the kingdom. Whoever teaches does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom. So notice even Jesus said, some will be called great, some will be called least. And it has to do with whether you live out what you're saying. <laughs> and uh, so what makes a person great and what makes a person least is actually their life choices. It's got nothing to do with your family of origin your money, your job, your talents, your gifts, your anything. It has to do totally with the life choices that you made. Did you make great choices? Did you make bad choices? <laughs> so here's another comparison that the Bible points out. Some will sit with Jesus in his throne. Others will just be saved. They'll be around the throne. So we saw in 1 Corinthians 3.15. It said there they will be saved, yet so is by far they'll lose their reward. Yet others will sit with Jesus on his throne and rule the nations with a rod of iron. Revelations 2, 26 and 27. To him that overcomes, will they give to sit with me in my throne, and he shall rule the nations with a rod of iron. So notice there, overcomers are ruling with Jesus in his throne, sharing his governments in the coming kingdom. And then there's others barely scraped in. So who do you want to be? A barely scraped in? Or do you want to be in a position of great honor, great authority? Here's another one. And uh, some believers will shine like the sun and others will not. 
So in resurrection glory, there will be a difference. And he uses this scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 41 to 42. 1 Corinthians 15, 41 to 42. He says, uh, his one star differs from another in glory, and so will it be in the resurrection. So when you go out at night and have a look, look at all the stars. And look at them, bright, shining stars, little ones, very faint ones. And so he uses that as an illustration. So for example, when you look at the stars, there's one star there, a pistol star, which is 10 million times brighter than our sun. That's really big. Mass 100 times greater. So, so, so you notice it's very, 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 very big. And so uh, stars vary from one another in their brilliance and their glory. And so it'll be in the resurrection. So the, the degree of honor and glory and majesty we have in the resurrection, that will be determined by the life we live now. It'll be directly related to what you do and what you overcome in life. No two believers are going to be the same. So everyone, while you're in this life, you've got an equal chance. But once you've got to the gate, then you can't make any more decisions on that one. So uh, some believers will enter the feast, the wedding feast. Some will not. We saw that in Matthew 25, 10 to 13. Some go into a time of celebration and joy and intimacy with Jesus. Some do not. Uh, another one, some, will be, some believers will be commended. Some will not. Some will hear the Lord say, well done. You're faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Matthew 25, 21. Others will hear, you were wicked and you were lazy and you can't be here. Okay, here's another one. Some believers will receive great honor and some will not. When you're invited in Luke 14, verse 10, when you're invited, go sit in the lowest place. And when he invited you, come, you can say, friend, go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those at the table with you. So he's saying, just start off serving and let God lift you up. Some will be considered worthy. Some will not. Some will attain the prize of a high calling. Some will not. In the coming kingdom, there'll be different responsibilities and positions of authority. Everyone will have their own assignment. Think about this. In the, in the nation of New Zealand, how many cities are there? How many towns? How many? There's many. So all of those will require people in roles and positions to bring about reformation and transformation. So there's going to be millions and millions and millions of roles to fill. And the role you fill will be determined by what you live on the earth now. So everyone has an opportunity. Everyone has the opportunity. He says, whoever, de in, in Matthew 20, 26, if you desire to become great, become a servant. If you desire to be first, let be the servant of everyone. Just like the Son of Man came not to be served, to, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So notice he's saying then that what will make you great in the coming king kingdom is your heart attitude, a heart of humility and meekness and serving. And everyone can do that. Everyone is unlimited in their faithfulness. You determine the limit. If there's a gifting, you like music or gifting with business or gifting with finance, if it's something like that, then we could, we'd feel, oh man, that's not fair, I haven't got enough, others have got more. But when it comes to the issue, it's just about your heart and about your faithfulness, then everyone's in the running. So finally, there's different kinds of rewards in the, in the coming uh, millennial kingdom. Uh, there are many. There's, a, there's about 18 mentioned in the book of Revelation. So rather than do a list of them, I felt I'll touch on them a bit more detail in another place, another time. But um, many of them are mentioned there. But perhaps the three most important ones, 
the three most important ones would be this. Number one, eternal intimacy with Jesus. A deep, intimate connection. And our level of intimacy or connection to Him and um, fellowship with Him will be determined by our life here. Matthew 25, we saw the wise virgins. Some went into the feast, some didn't. The second major, and this one is a major one that is, that is spoken of, and that is eternal authority. Of course, that means eternal responsibility as well. So eternal authority. And what it means is in the coming kingdom, God has responsibilities for us. That's why your life now is just your preparatory service. Your real assignment comes in eternity, in the millennium. So whatever you're doing now, it's all about your preparation. So you can handle disappointment. You can handle setback. Here you invest in people and they, 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 they fail away or they fall away. You can get very overwhelmed and say, oh, I don't see any results. Or you can be doing it unto the Lord and just maintain your joy and your, your happiness in spite of the disappointments. God's watching all of that. And so uh, eternal authority and responsibility, it's out of proportion to anything we did. In, in Luke 19, verse 11 to 27, talks about the wives' servants, faithful over little, ruling over much. One was faithful over little, ruled over ten cities. Can you imagine being given responsibility for ten cities for their reformation and restoration, proper governance, and then reshaping the culture, the finances? The, that's a big responsibility. So obviously there's various levels of responsibility. And the last one is eternal glory. Eternal glory, resurrection glory. In Revelation 3, verse 5, it talks about they'll be clothed in white garments. It's indicated it's a reward. So rewards of intimacy, rewards of authority, and with it responsibility, rewards of glory. There are other rewards that are mentioned. Perhaps one I'll mention is uh, the, the honor and acknowledgement of your life pleasing God. Actually, there's quite a few come to mind as I think about it. <laughs> that God will honor you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You did well with what you had. And remember, it's not about us working hard to try and get something. It's about our love increasing and the passion overflowing in our desire to serve the Lord. And he sees our love for him, our love expressed by obedience to him, and he says, I just want to do all I can to acknowledge that far more than you can ever imagine. So I'm looking to reward you. Uh, he's not looking to punish us. He's looking to see what in our life he can acknowledge that requires honor in the coming kingdom. And of course, the last thing is that some will suffer loss at the judgment seat. Some will suffer loss at the judgment seat. Um, we saw that in 1 Corinthians 3.15. Their works are burned, then they'll suffer loss, and they'll be saved, yet so is by fire. And so suffering loss, it's not physical suffering, it's just forfeiting rewards. In other words, it's saying there was a check being offered of a million bucks, and I mucked around and didn't get to the bank on time, and now I can't cash it. That's really sad. That's suffering loss. <laughs> you know, that really is suffering loss. You didn't do it in time, now it's been taken away from you. So... He says there, in, for example, 2 John 8, he says, Watch out, you don't lose what you've worked for, but you may be rewarded fully. So he, says, he warns us 
make sure that you don't be cheated out of, out of what God is wanting to give you. Jesus warned people too. He said in, in Revelations 3.11, Hold fast what you have, that no man take your crown. So th there's warnings in there in a number of places about suffering loss. The loss means not that I'm going to be in pain, not going to be hurt, not, not, it's nothing to do with that. No, I'll experience the love of God. I'll experience uh, many things in the coming kingdom. However, the thing that will be sad is the loss that I of what I could have had. And uh, we, we have to believe that God is able to reward people brilliantly. It's his nature to be generous. It's his nature to be kind. It's his nature to be gracious. It's his nature to be just, to give what, what is deserving and will, will be recognized. So you can see then, you look around the world, you see people dying for their faith in some countries. And then you see in the West, for the most part, people passive, lukewarm, indifferent. For many people, the core problem is that they have no passion going on in their life for Jesus. There's compromise of all kinds. And this is what Jesus talks about in the book of Revelation. He talks to the seven churches of Revelation and identifies what's good and what is lacking in their lives and encourages them to overcome and then offers many rewards for those who overcome. So this topic is a very big topic. There is a lot more in the Bible about the nature of the rewards. And there's also quite a lot in the book of Revelation about the actual challenges that God calls us to overcome. And so at some point we'll look at each of those. What are the specific challenges that will come that you will need to overcome in your life? And for, for, for example, one of the churches, he commended them for many things, but he said, I've got this against you. You've left your first love. In other words, they're busy in, in church and busy doing things, but the passion, the fire, the love, the, the, the first commitment to Christ had gone. And you see that with many people. So our desire is that we understand eternal rewards and that we be motivated greatly by the prospect that everything I do is seen and visible Therefore, because it's all visible, what are the words I'm saying? Are they bringing life or destruction? What are the motivations I've got going on? Is it love of God flowing through me? Or am I reaction, re reacting, retaliating? Is there unkindness in my heart? How am I serving the Lord? Am I connected to Him in passionate worship? Am I serving Him to the best of what I can? Remember, it's not perfection He's looking at. He's just looking at a heart that's towards Him. And he's not looking at the individual acts as much as, although they're all recorded, he's looking, what is the arc of your life? You keep getting up, keep moving back, keep reaching out, keep going forward, then you qualify for reward. And God, who knows our lives, knows what we've done in secret, will reward us openly before all people, and everyone will then know what kind of life you lived on earth, what kind of passion you had for the Lord, and how faithful you were in what you did. It's an incredibly motivating teaching around eternal rewards because you realize then if you hurt knock back set back disappointed things go wrong then it's okay i can turn to the lord he'll comfort me strengthen me i'll deepen my relationship with him and i'll carry on what people do won't stop me if uh, failures come i'll just get up and keep running again amen Father, we just pray right now that the words we spoke will now find a resting place and good ground that, Lord, each one that hears this message will feel the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in them to renew their first love and to passionately serve you and to run the race to win the prize that's laid before each of us. I pray, Lord, for every member of my family 
that, Lord, they'll catch a grip that there's an eternal prize to be won and will live a life that honors you and qualifies them for well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.